The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Hey, I asked about your, uh, your fashion sense uh, because there's been a couple of things. Hey, what we're going to talk about tonight, I think, I think connects. But to me, it's amazing that, that as we try and determine, you know, who's getting what look. I mean, I look out and I see, yeah, there's probably some guys that are maybe taking some cues from the R up here. You know, I know, I know how to keep it real. But, but you take one visit to, say, a website like InStyle or you look at at just some of the things in, in advertising, and it's amazing to me, I think we have a graphic, that all of the images that you still see, A, it's still Angelina Jolie and Jennifer Aniston. When I first started working here, like about a decade ago, it seems like those were the same people. I mean, the staying power is, is amazing. Sometimes you get like a Taylor Swift in there, maybe a Kardashian or two, uh, as it may be. You got Gorgeous George up there, as, I, as I'm, I'm told he's called. And then, uh, and then, of course, during American Idol season, J-Lo's uh, got it going on. And then maybe for the guys, you're trying to do a little Steven Tyler, Randy Jackson in there. Although, uh, rarely have I been up front and looked out, and the first thing that went through my mind is, oh, this is like being in an Aerosmith concert or something like that. So, doesn't look like too many of you are taking cues uh, there, but... I, I bring that up because we're going to talk about uh, a story from Scripture of someone who ends up being rather, rather stylish. Uh, somebody who, who went from a, a rather small position to a rather large position and likely into a place where, where, where people looked at this character and, says, and said, wow. And yet it is still a, an Old Testament story of calling where God works in very subtle ways to redeem and restore both individuals and communities. And so we're going to look at the story of Esther, and in so doing, we're going to look at someone who really struggled with this question of call, and really how she would interpret herself and how she would interpret uh, God. And again, as, this, as we've been rolling through the, this uh, series over spring quarter, we're asking the question of calling and what, wrestling with that question of what in the world am I supposed to do with my life, but also looking for cues, not only about what are we supposed to do, but what does this tell us uh, about the caller? So before we jump into uh, this, this great Old Testament story tonight, let me, let me pray once again for us as after the whole family thing, I, I feel like I need to calm myself down. So would you join me, uh, join me in prayer? Lord, I pray that as we have gathered tonight that uh, we might, uh, that we might uh, just turn the volume down on the distractions. Uh, Lord, even on distractions that are great, things that we're excited about, uh, things that are just happening in this spring quarter, uh, turn those things down for a few moments that we might hear your voice, that we might know your presence. Um, Lord, we ask that you would help us by your spirit to know you as we seek uh, also to know what you would have us do. Uh, So help us out as we gather tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. The story of Esther in the Old Testament. Great story. And on the one hand, it is very much like a Cinderella story. And the, the context, of, uh, of course, is what we might call the, the Middle East. Uh, academics call it the ancient Near East. And at the time that Esther was written, the Persians were, were totes doming. Totes dom? They went totes dom? Yeah. 
go with me on that? Okay, I can't pull that off. Okay. So the Persians dominate the, the region and they were, and the, the Jews were also there too, but they were a threatened minority group. And so there was this, this girl who was, who was a Jew who was living outside of the palace walls and, and the king is looking for a new queen. And uh, we, we kind of fast forward and we're told that a man, a, a Jewish man named Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah whom he brought up because she had neither father nor mother. So this, this man was trying to be a good family member. He was the next to kin and said, okay, I'll raise this girl. And this young woman who uh, was also known, who came to be known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. It was clear enough for the text uh, to spell that out. So you have this girl who, who we're told is beautiful, who, who has a, a, obviously a rather rough background. Her, her parents were killed, raised by a cousin, and yet things seem to, seem to work out for her. Right, she, uh, the, the, the king is looking for a new queen. Mordecai, this cousin, says, why don't you go and, 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 and basically enter this, this pageant? And it works out. One thing leads to another. And the next thing you know, Esther becomes the queen. She lives into to every, every little girl's dream that, that she might one day have the opportunity to wear the crown on her head. And it seems like a great, like a great story. And for any of you who perhaps grew up in the church and, and went to Sunday school, you've probably heard this story before. And it's told like this type of Cinderella story. Okay, but in the more, I don't know, college ministry version or, uh, so to speak, the adult version, this becomes a very adult story because this Cinderella story has a very dark side as well. It is a Cinderella story where this person who was Hadassah, who we now know as Esther, is basically a sellout. Bible commentator Carolyn Acoustis James notes that Esther's Cinderella story has a dark side to it that you would expect any story from this period of time, especially involving a woman, uh, that you would expect it to be dark. And so in order to pull off this type of Cinderella story, this rag to riches moment in which a man, Mordecai, kind of first prompted the idea uh, for Esther to enter this, this pageant that she might become the property of another man, even though there was this involuntary moment for Esther, there was a point where Esther said, okay, game on, let's play. Because what you got to understand here is that this king, this king of Persia, this guy named Xerxes, I know you guys are probably wondering, why didn't I name my first son, you know, Xerxes instead of Carson? Well, for obvious reasons, and you're going to find them out. Okay, so Xerxes is this really powerful guy. And earlier on in the book of Esther, you heard about, uh, basically, he was trying to show off his wife, and his wife uh, basically said, no, I'm not going to do that. He said, oh, yes, who will? She said, oh, no, I'm not. He basically boots her out, banishes her, and, and it's a bad deal. So he's in search of a, of a new queen after he has shown what he will do to you when you, when you cross him up. And so there's basically this pageant that really, the, the way that we might best think of it, for those of you that are at all connected to pop culture and television, is that this is basically like, like uh, so to speak, the second season of The Bachelor Persia, okay? So 
There's, there are, are lots of women that are selected here, you know, not just whatever they start with, 24. But in this case, there might have been, there might have literally been hundreds of women. And at which point Hadassah is, of course, one of them. And, and so she, you know, she enters the bachelor. And, and it's, the text actually tells us um, at the beginning of chapter 2 that these women were brought under the care of one of the king's attendants. Basically, the king had, had people who their job was to make these women look really, really good. And this, this chief attendant takes, uh, takes really good care of Esther. And though it wasn't her idea necessarily to enter the bachelor Persia, at some point she embraces it. This Bible commentator that I suggested earlier says that, that when we think about the behavior that is really described or implied over the next three chapters, um, it paints a very scandalous picture, one that might not totally be appropriate for Sunday school. Okay, so, so uh, this Jewish girl starts, starts capitulating because she decides, I, I want to get the rose. I'm going to get this rose. Okay, so she goes instead from seeking to please God to trying to please Xerxes, okay? And, and please, when you read it in, in the biblical context here, it says stuff like, and, and uh, Esther pleased him very much, okay? You need to use your, little, your, your imagination a little bit and, and think, uh, I don't know, uh, a little, well, think about the... <laughs> How about this? Think about the fantasy suite in The Bachelor. That's what we're talking about when it says if anybody was going to be pleasing anyone, it likely implies something like the fantasy suite. So Esther goes from seeking to please God to pleasing Xerxes. And in, the, in, uh, in that, she conceals her own identity. And she really morphs into this Persian culture, this very hedonistic culture. Second is that she didn't just, as, I, as I've been noting, just survive in the harem. She began to thrive in the, in the harem. Not only was she making trips to the fantasy suite, apparently she was pretty sweet in it because she ends up winning that final rose. And this Jewish woman with, these, with obviously these very modest roots has now risen to be the 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 model, the person who sets the trends in the Persian empire. She becomes the most famous woman in the kingdom. But it took a lot of scandalous behavior to get there. And it's one of these things that if you're, that you could read through the text and easily miss this. But for, for a Jewish reader of this text, they would be able to, to read this and know that you don't do this. You don't go to the fantasy suite with a man who is not your husband. And you certainly don't marry a pagan man. And I bring those up to just illustrate how far she had gone from these these faithful Jewish roots to totally the other side as she sought to, so to speak, get the rose. Okay, so she she wins the crown, but then the plot thickens. Vum, vum, vum. Enter another uh, a villain, an enemy here, a guy uh, who named Haman, who becomes one of Xerxes' chief advisors. Well, Mordecai, the person who pushed Esther into uh, the pageant in the first place, 
um, is a faithful Jewish man and is, is Haman rises to this power. One day he's walking out of, of the palace and when an aide of that stature did, everybody would make sure that they bowed, that they would, they would recognize that this person is, is powerful, that he's been given a degree of authority by the king, but Mordecai would not. Perhaps out of the faithfulness that he had to his God, to Yahweh, that he is not gonna bow uh, to, to this person. Well, Haman doesn't like this. And as a result, I think that this is probably a little bit over the top, but Haman gets to a point of saying, I want to kill Mordecai, and not just do I want to kill Mordecai, I want to kill all of his family. Oh, and I want to kill all the Jews. Xerxes, what do you think? Xerxes, not the brightest light in the, in the ceiling, says, oh, hey, you're saying that? Sounds like a good idea to me, Okay. So this decree goes out from the king that, yeah, we're going to round up all the Jews and it's going, to be, it's going to be a bad scene. Well, Mordecai hears this. Okay, he hears about this decree and he responds in the way that any faithful Jewish man would. And, and he does that by ripping off his clothes. You know, I mean, it might seem a little bit weird to us, but that's kind of what they did. And, and then putting on, on sackcloth and ashes. And, and he's doing this. See, he's an employee of the kings just outside the palace gate. And so people can see what's going on. They're like, and, and Esther, Esther can sometimes see what's going on out there. And, and she can tell that her cousin, her, her father figure is in distress. So she sends one of her servants to basically find out, hey, what's going on? And why is he acting so weird? Well, the word comes back, oh, your husband, yeah, the king, he basically sent out a decree to kill Mordecai and all your family, oh, and all the Jews as well. This isn't the most favorable scene for you. The woman who had capitulated, who had gone from, from this, this, entering this great Cinderella story, forsaking the roots that she had, that she might win the crown. She has everything that she could have possibly wanted. She won the lottery. She is in this position of power. And now there is this moment of truth. I would be okay, wouldn't I? I'm in the place where I'm okay, right? What am I supposed to do? So it's really at that moment that, we, that I want to pick up the story. And we pick this up. I just gave you the very quick, rather contemporary version. <laughs> the words uh, Persian bachelor are not anywhere in the Bible, by the way. Um, so we'll pick it up at chapter 4, verse 9. Here's what it said. It says, Atak went back and reported to Esther. That was one of her servants. Um, reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. Xerxes, not the most affectionate guy in the world apparently, but 30 days have passed since I, his wife was called to go to the king, okay? That wouldn't fly in my house, by the way. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, she sent back his answer. Do you think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape? For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arrive from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. 
And who knows, but that you have come to a royal position for such a time as this. For such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king even though it is against the law. I will take a risk and I will do it. And if I perish, all this that I have built up, everything that I compromised to achieve and to gain, if I perish, I perish. It's important that you keep in mind, that you remember what I told you, that, that Esther knows what Xerxes does to wives, to wives who disobey him. Well, here's the spoiler alert, that they do fast. They do that for three days. Xerxes, uh, Esther goes, not being summoned to the king, and the king says, hey, that's the queen. Okay, Queen Esther, come on in. She says, I think you should reverse this order. He does. The Jews are saved. Oh, and the guy who said that all the Jews should be killed, he was actually the one killed. So there's this great irony in the story. And it all happens because why? Because in a moment of, of, of truth, in a moment of mystery, in a moment of chaos, I believe Esther remembered who she really was that she remembered the roots that she came from, that she remembered that God is a faithful God. And all of the sudden, Hadassah is back. And she remembers, no, I'm gonna fast for three days because this can't happen. Even though I have gained all this, there's a moment now where it's not about what I have gained, but it's about how I can lose myself for others. Esther, in a moment of truth, did something different. She did something different. And in so doing, she restores our hope that God has an important purpose for us all, no matter how bad the choices we make, no matter how much we may have, have gone against what we know to be true, we've gone against our morals, no matter how bad a choices we make, God has an important purpose for us. And this really frames what I want to share over the next few moments. First, the question is, where is God in all of this? Even in the text I read, where was God in that? Because, perhaps some of you noticed, God was never mentioned. Not in the text that I read. And in fact, Esther is a rather famous book because God is not mentioned once. Nada, zilch, zero. But for anybody, for somebody reading this in its original context, where they would see God is everywhere. So much so that God doesn't even need to be named. But it wasn't in a type of burning bush experience. It wasn't in some sort of spectacular uh, experience where, where uh, supernatural, where somehow, uh, you know, Haman is wiped out by some supernatural power and then nothing else happens. No, everything happened very, very subtly. It happened, it, Esther's experience of God happened because she listened. 
She heard what Mordecai had to say was happening. She listened to a servant. It wasn't the voice of God. It was the voice of people around her. She, she also in a moment recognized this and then she actually made an intentional turn towards God. Why don't you all fast and I will do the same. For the first time in who knows how many years, she actually made a movement to say, God, where are you? And I need you right now. So often as a college pastor, myself and the staff, we, we get to, to be in relationships with, with so many of you. And, and really getting into the lives of college students is what we're all about. And so often we hear this, this great struggle, this great lament uh, from, from college students saying, I just don't, don't feel the presence of God right now. Like, I just don't know what... what uh, what I should do, and, and it feels like God is totally absent. Well, then we start asking questions. Well, you know, have you, have you talked to your core group about this? Well, I, I did about six weeks ago, but I haven't been since then. Go to your core group. Because maybe in the same way that Esther was able to hear the voice of one of her servants and hear, hear God's prodding in that, Maybe in the same way you will hear it from somebody who is in your life every day in the same way that person was for Esther. Maybe you're, you, you find yourself going, ah, I wish God would just tell me what to do and how to do it. Well, I mean, have you had a chance to read, read the Bible lately? Well, you know, I did, I did a quiet time a few days ago, read a psalm uh, right before I, I headed out the door, and, you know, I haven't really been in Scripture since then. Sometimes we need to stop and actually make an intentional movement towards God instead of expecting that God is just going to poof, show up and make everything all clear to us. Look around. What are the people in your life saying? Show up to core group. Go. Give yourself the opportunity to hear what the Lord might speak to you in something that you do every day. Make an intentional movement towards God and stay there for a few minutes. Don't just check it off the list and expect that, okay, I did it, so that means God is definitely on my side and now everything will be easy. No, hang out there. Stop, I'll be totally straight up in saying that this has been the most chaotic season of my entire life. I'm 18 years since my freshman year of college and I thought that was a busy time and now I'm experiencing the most busy season of my life and over the past, I don't know, three or four months, there have been so many times where I have found God to be incredibly distant. And it was actually just a, a, a catalytic, certainly on the Dominican, the, the trip to the Dominican Republic, but then in a staff devotional since then where we just stopped and the, the commission was just to rest and, and it was in stopping for just 30 minutes right here in Seattle that I was ex- able to experience the invitation, the reality of God by stopping. I didn't have a burning bush experience. Not everything in my life was made clear to me. But there was this moment of going, God's invitation to just experience his presence was real. In the same way that God is never mentioned in Esther, yet God is everywhere, I want to assert that it's the same thing for us right now. God may not be mentioned in the places that you are at day to day, but God is there. 
And waking up to that, paying attention to it, is our challenge. Because of that great line, for such a time as this, God has placed you in a place, someplace, for such a time as this. And some of you could reflect on how you ended up in the position that you're at, whether it's the school you're at, the living situation you're in, the, the relationship you're in. Maybe there were, there were really good decisions and things that you achieved that led you to that moment. Awesome. And some of you might be thinking on things and going, actually, it was really bad decisions. It might have even been flat, straight up sin that put you in a position that you are in. But for such a time as this, what I can tell you is that God's plan is to redeem that, whether it was good or bad, that put you in that situation. For such a time as this, you are there. And, and what God has in mind for such a time as, uh, as this is redemption. It was redemption for Ruth. This was a game changer for her, a life changer. But as she was being redeemed, she was, she was participating in God's redeeming work of others. Wake up. What is God doing in the place that you are at right now? In the particular place that you are at? Because this is what God is in the business of doing. God doesn't, isn't super concerned with whatever sin is in your background. Moses killed a dude before he led the, the Hebrews out of Egypt, okay? Then you have somebody like Jacob. Jacob was a thief and a deceiver, and yet God still used him as the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. God blessed him, and this line of blessing continues through a dude who's a thief. You have somebody like Rahab, a prostitute, who God uses to provide and protect, uh, again, the people of God. God is in the business of saying, you know what? Your background doesn't matter nearly as much to me as it does to you. It's a stumbling block to you, but it is not to me. For such a time as this is a movement for us to get over ourselves and to recognize that God is at work whether we deserve it or not, whether we feel like it or not, it just is. And so our challenge is to pay attention to what is going on in such a time as this and to respond to it. And in the same way that Esther responded differently to her situation, for us to ask, what are the things that you end up in every day that for such a time as this, you might respond differently because God is present and God wants to redeem you and God wants to redeem others. A great quote that many of you know comes from Frederick Buechner, who said that, that you know, basically asserted that calling is when we, uh, where we find that, that our great passion intersects with the world's great need. Great quote. Your great passion. Where does that intersect with the great needs that you see in the world? And when you find that, that's great. But here's the thing. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Even when you find your great passion, where it intersects with the world's great need, it still will likely be hard. It's still going to require you to do something different. Um, I'm so glad you guys got to meet uh, my, my wife tonight because she really, um, in this season of our lives as, as a married couple, as parents, 
And even as, as we pursue careers, she is just, she is really the first person I thought of when I thought of this example. Um, Julie has this amazing gift. She works, uh, she just opened a clinic down the street here on 45th that is open for the treatment of eating disorders. And as many of you know, eating disorders are, are uh, in some ways, you could make the argument almost a, a bit of an epidemic um, amongst uh, this population of people. And, you know, we, we have a six-month-old son, and yet Julie has this great passion to be able to meet with people who are struggling with issues of body image and disordered eating. And there's this great need of women in this neighborhood who struggle with that. And for her to do something different meant that we couldn't just go along doing the same thing and just reading articles and and feeling sympathy about it and and having her just meet with people one-on-one, occasionally in low-capacity ways. For her, it meant saying, no, let's really get after this. Let's see if we might be able to, to really make an impact in this neighborhood there. And so she and some colleagues opened up this clinic called Opal just down the street. And that's what you could read about in the daily for what it's worth. Julie demonstrated tremendous courage in saying, let's go do something different. I think we might be able to do something. There's a great need here. And I don't know how we're going to fix it but let's try doing something a little bit different. For such a time as this, God wants to use you to bring about redemption, not only in your own life, but in the lives of others as well. But it's going to require that we look for the places where we know God is present because the promise is God is present in everything, even when God is not explicitly mentioned, regardless of background, regardless of whatever it is that you might be tempted to think can hold you back, God is saying, for such a time as this, take a risk. Let's pray. Lord, you have empowered us because you are present. You are the caller that does not leave us, that does not forsake us. Uh, You have empowered us by your spirit to do something different, and now would you give us the courage to actually follow through with that? Uh, Thank you for who you are. Uh, Thank you for uh, for Esther and what you did in her life and what you did in and through her. So, Lord, we, we thank you for this time to be together. Uh, Change us as we go from here in Jesus' name. Amen.